These days, your calendar is supercharged and you find yourself having to pencil in when you need to breathe. As we're always moving and grooving between our offices, homes, studio, and out, we could all take some moments to spend time and hear from our faves and pop culture on what they're up to and how they keep it together as well. I'm your host, Kimmy Smith, a celeb fashion stylist, co-founder and creative style director of Athleisure Mag, co-executive producer and host of a number of shows in our multimedia podcast network, Athleisure Studio. When you plug into Punglo SK, you'll get to hang out with those that, regardless of their background, are juggling their busy lives and have words of empowerment to keep us motivated throughout our day. On today's episode of Bungalow SK, we catch up with Miss New Jersey USA, Gina Mellish, as we all continue to navigate quarantine and social distancing due to COVID-19. Gina shares her history in the pageant world, being crowned, and how she continues to fulfill her duties even during these past few months. In addition, she talks about how she uses her personal journey and her platform to assist those who are dealing with domestic violence and its effects, regardless of the kinds of interpersonal relationships that you're involved in. We thought about how you can identify if you or someone you know is dealing with domestic violence and how you can help. She also talks about how these situations take on a bigger need to assist those that need help during these times of COVID-19. We also talk about the road ahead from preparing to compete for Miss USA, as well as her love for the fashion industry. What drew you to want to compete in pageants? Um, so actually, it's really funny because I was always a tomboy growing up. Like I played wow. every sport. I know. Hard to believe, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but I played basketball. I played soccer. I played, I danced for a long time. Um, I played volleyball in high school, which ultimately I wanted to pursue in college. Mm. Um, but the the captain of my volleyball team when I was a junior in high school, she won Miss New Jersey Teen USA. And I was like, hmm. what is that? Like, I have no idea how you get that. Like, and um, her name was Christina Thompson. And she was a huge role model to me, not just because of the fact that she was, you know, the captain, um, but she was so much more beautiful on the inside, um, which just complimented her outside. And she was really just, like the girl that everyone really wanted to be. She was so goal driven and compassionate. And um, I talked to her about this because I had no idea what it was. I grew up literally on the opposite end of the spectrum, <laughs> you know, running around in basketball shorts and baggy tees. Um, but she just told me about the organization. And ultimately, I ended up competing um, that year, which is my first pageant ever. And I got a third runner up. And so wow. I was so excited. I ended up coming back. Um, the year after and winning, but I literally signed up for the next year, the day after I was third runner up. I was like, mom, we're signing up for next year. She was like, okay, like, don't you want to take a little break? I'm like, nope, nope. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like, it was really funny how it came about, but um, yeah, I just fell in love with the organization and how they really help women, you know, not only pursue their career goals, but also their philanthropic goals and just really, um, I think encompassing what the modern day woman looks like. Mm-hmm. And you're currently Miss New Jersey USA right now, which is like I am. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> How? <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I I know that you were crowned last fall. Like, what what was that like? I mean, that was you went the first time to do it and got it, which I love. That I mean, what were the emotions <laughs> in your head? You were in Atlantic City. Like, how did that all work? 
Um, well, long story short, that week I was in and out of the city intern or um, interviewing for internships. Mm-hmm. And I said to my mom, I'm like, mom, I don't really feel so good. And um, I ended up going to the doctor a few days later because I had like 104 fever. <gasps> oh, my and God. The doctor diagnosed me with double pneumonia the day before I was supposed to leave for the pageant. Whoa. And my mom was like, I don't know, gee, like you have a dress for next year if you want to go. And I was like, you know what? No, like I worked really hard um, that year. It was, you know, I was a senior, so I was also capping. Yep. Um, so that semester was really like a uh, really goal driven semester. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go. And if I feel like I need to send myself home, <laughs> then I'll send myself home. Right. But I don't want to like. You know, because it's once a year and I worked yep. so hard and I was so excited and I felt so, so prepared. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to go. And I, you know, I took it slow. You know, interview was two minutes long. So I was like, if wow. I can hold it together for two minutes in interview and, you know, with a little spray tan, a little makeup, you yep. can't tell if you're sick. <laughs> no, I mean, you looked amazing. So, wow. <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you. But yeah, I mean, I think I was so focused on, I think, making sure that I was healthy, that, you know, the nerves didn't really kick in. Yeah. Um, so my, my true, my true, true goal was to make top five, you know, girls compete for, um, you know, the state, the missed titles for years, like there's girls who it's taken them seven years to win. So my true goal was top five. And when I made top 15, I was like, okay, girl, you're halfway there. Like just get to top five. And I got to top five and it was like the biggest, the biggest, like, rest of fresh air. I was like, okay, I met my goal. So all I have to do is answer my question, be myself. Let's just have fun. Yeah. In that moment, I was like, I got to a point where I really wanted to be, you know, due to the unfortunate circumstances, yep. I was super sick and let's just have fun. And I think that, you know, letting go of, you know, the pressure of it, I have to win or this and that, like it really made my true personality come out. And I think that was something that really helped me win was that I was so focused on just having a good time and you know, remembering what it felt like to like feel the lights on my face and like mm-hmm. how my dress moved. Like I wanted to be able to, you know, remember those moments when I'm like 85. So Absolutely. It was an am- <laughs> yeah. So I think that definitely helped. But after I won, I was in complete, like just complete <laughs> shock. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I, I need some food or something like this girl's sick. But it was such an amazing experience. And, um, Jesse Lynn Palumbo was yep. my miss when I was teen and huge, huge role model for me. And she was actually the photographer mm-hmm. that night. So I've worked with her. Like, I love her. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like shaking, trying to <laughs> capture my crowning moment. And that was an amazing memory too. But having all my friends and family there was really special. So I'm just so honored to be able to represent the state of New Jersey and to do it on my first try. I still can't believe that happened, but I'm so grateful. That is so crazy. And, you know, in this, you guys have that reign for a year. What does the remainder of your year kind of look like, especially with, you know, all of us being indoors at the moment for, you know, to flatten the curve for COVID-19? Like, are you still doing the outreach and different things like that that your title requires? Mm -hmm. So the future of my reign is kind of up in the air. We're not really sure, obviously, due to um, the circumstances, like when we can start doing appearances. Yep. We don't even know when Miss USA is. We don't have a tentative date or anything mm. like that. So I think I'm just, I've been trying to make the most of what I can do. And 
when I, you know, came into quarantine, I said, you know, I wanted to leave a legacy as Miss New Jersey, but just because I can't be outdoors doesn't mean that there's not so much I can do from just inside the four walls of my home. So I have been super dedicated on just really trying to post as many resources as I can for domestic violence victims, obviously, because that is um, something I've been super passionate about, which we can talk about in a little bit, but Um, but there is so much that we can do. So spreading resources, um, I've collaborated with a brand called Angel Energy, Mm -hmm. um, where all the proceeds from the brand go to domestic violence charities every month. So I, um, was able to design my own collaboration with them. Mm. Um, I was then able to do my one love workshops at home. And I've also been working with, um, local elected officials on another big project um, regarding domestic violence, which I can also touch on later too. But I've been, yeah, I think it's been amazing because it really made me um, kind of think about how much I can do because I don't know if I would be able to do as much, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because I'd be so focused on being, going to appearances and other things that I I think it really helped me um, put my priorities together. And that's, you know, what we've been telling a lot of people, too. I mean, when you think about what you're given week or month would look like around this time of year, we would be going to a number of different events, doing tons of different photo shoots and all these different things. And so the fact Mm -hmm. that we have been able to kind of focus on other types of projects, we're actually kind of getting more done. (laughs) And we were getting a lot done before, but, you know, it's a little Mm -hmm. different when your your days are structured a little bit differently. And maybe we're able to do like more things that we always wanted to do before, but never could. So it's kind of, it's strange times for sure. But it's Mm -hmm. very interesting that if you have a focus and have a plan, there's so many things that you can do. And technically everyone being at home, the people who are very hard to reach are a little less hard to reach now. (laughs) Exactly. And I think we've we've been able to, you know, with some indoors kind of figuring out what the silver lining in the situation is Mm -hmm. for everyone and I think that's you know that is unique to each person so that's definitely been my silver lining is that I've been able to do things that I honestly never thought I would have been able to do before this. Absolutely and why is you know in in the conversation of domestic violence why was that a platform Mm -hmm. you you chose to focus on and you know because it's such a big topic and it's something that honestly, right. like when I think of a number of my girlfriends and even my guy friends, like so many people have had that happen to them or know of people. Why did you decide that that was something that you wanted to focus on? So I'm actually a survivor of um, abusive relationship. When mm. I was 16 years old, I found myself in a really unhealthy relationship that took some time um, to get out of safely. But ultimately I found myself um, I came across the One Love Foundation very, mm. uh, very randomly. Mm-hmm. Um, I was feeling very isolated in my relationship and I wanted to go out and do something for myself that was just for Gina, like just yeah. for me. Um, I wanted something that was completely for myself. And so I went out and I joined a sorority. I joined Alpha Sigma Tau Sorority. It was a freshman nice. in college. And I just needed like that girl companionship. Mm-hmm. And one of our... Um, mandatory events we had to attend was a one love workshop. I had no idea what it was. I mm-hmm. kind of just, you know, sat my butt down where I was supposed to be, like be the good sister. And um, I really felt like it was such a big sign from God. Mm-hmm. And the um, One Love Foundation is founded by 
a mother who lost her daughter, Yardley Love, just mm. two weeks before she was going to graduate from college to an oh, abusive wow. relationship. And her parents thought that her death could have been 100% preventable had she had the education on what unhealthy signs look like before they escalate into abuse. Yep. And the video was very parallel to my own life. And I said, you know what? I don't want to be that phone call. I don't want to be that statistic. There's people here that care about me, that want to help me. And it was the first time that I didn't feel alone. Mm. Um, and so my experience with One Love was so positive and so eye-opening and really life-changing for me that ultimately after um, therapy and getting out of my relationship in a healthy and safe way, I started teaching that workshop to other people. And I think mm. that's really where my healing process kind of came full circle. And my life was really 180, you know, from sitting yeah. in the back row of, you know, the workshop to now teaching it and showing people because, you know, something they say that I, I always tell people because it's so true is that we're taught a lot of things in life. We're taught how to tie our shoes. Mm-hmm. We go to history class, you know, we're taught how to drive a car, but we are not taught how to love. Mm. That is something that we interpret through what we see um, through our other relationships, our parents love um, or lack thereof. So it's kind of up for interpretation of what your love looks like. Mm. Um, So one love really focuses on showing people the unhealthy signs um, in relationships so that you can recognize them before they escalate into abuse. So um, this is something that I'm so passionate about because, You know, like I said, this is an education that we're not taught, but it's probably one of the most important educations that we can get because love is in our life every single day, whether it's romantic, friendship, um, you know, with our family. So, you know, this platform for me, this was really why I wanted to compete for Miss New Jersey because I did the teen and it was beautiful and glitz and glam and I got all that, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to use this platform for a purpose. And so that was um, really why I wanted to compete. So it's been amazing being able to share my story. And I think, you know, one in every three women and one in every four men are affected by this. So, mm. you know, that that reach is so, so large. So if you think about how many people you can educate and maybe prevent that statistic from growing or even reduce that statistic mm-hmm. is a really powerful thing. I mean, I, I love, first of all, that you very were very quick to say, you know, domestic violence and relationships. And many people, when they think of the word relationship, they just think of like a husband, a wife, a boyfriend. But you're actually mm-hmm. talking about all the interactions and intersectionalities that you have with people could potentially be a domestic violence situation. How do you define or how does what is the actual definition of domestic violence, first of all? And does domestic violence only exist within a physical capacity? Domestic violence is definitely not only physical. It can um, be emotional. It can be financial, which is huge, too. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people don't realize that. But I think a lot of people, when they think domestic violence or they think abuse, the first thing they think of is physical because that's the first time that we are physically able to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of how our minds have been trained to think. But in actuality, um, abuse shows its form most of the time emotionally and that's something that we physically can't see um but with these workshops and you know with one love and the signs that they've been able to kind of put down on paper it makes it so much easier to train the mind to recognize these things when they are emotional because you know when we think abuse 
we do think physical, but most of the time, um, a woman on male abuse is not physical. It's mostly emotional. So mm. you have those one in four men that are experiencing abuse. And most of the time it's not physical. So, yeah. you know, it goes for women as well. And it starts emotional because no relationship starts off abusive. You yeah. know, every relationship starts off with something, you know, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's what escalates. So being able to recognize those things is so, so important before they actually you know, are physically recognizable. Mm. And what are those signs? So a lot of the signs that um, we talk about, some of them include um, manipulation. Mm. Um, Like I said, isolation, which is something I really dealt with. A lot of the times, abusive partners tend to isolate people from their friends and family. And really the recognition of people understanding what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of the times our friends will say, well, you know, this doesn't look unhealthy. This doesn't look this, doesn't look that. And um, most of the time we're in denial about our situation. I know that is something that happened to me when I was younger. I was 16. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. so abusive partners tend to kind of feed off of that. Um, some other unhealthy signs are belittling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy to recognize that. But I think sometimes, you know, we all do unhealthy behavior sometimes in our lifetime. No one is perfect, unfortunately. Not exactly. even me. <laughs> um, but, you know, these are things that we have to recognize so that they don't escalate. Um, some other unhealthy signs are volatility. Mm. Um, and also gaslighting. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with that. Term, oh, yes. But um, yeah, so I didn't really know what that was until they put in action with a word um, when one love told me what that was. And it's something that is so prevalent in so many people's lives. So definitely a big red flag to look out for. But we also love to talk about the healthy signs as well, because, mm. you know, love, love is such a beautiful thing and everyone deserves a healthy love. So we don't really like to just talk about, you know, the unhealthy signs without talking about what a healthy love looks like. Um, so some parts of that are, you know, fun. Every relationship needs to have some mm-hmm. fun. That's a beautiful, healthy sign. Um, trust and honesty, which sounds cliche, but it's actually so important because a lot of relationships lack trust. Yeah. Um, and compassionate and also a healthy conflict. You know, mm-hmm. we're always going to have situations in our life, especially, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, married, parents, friends, where you don't agree on something or something that you need to talk about. But, you know, instead of getting into a heated argument, having those healthy conflicts where you talk about something and you compromise and you come out with, you know, something that you're both happy with and you've grown from that is Mm -hmm. so, so important. Mm. I I mean, I love that. I was not familiar with One Love until I was doing Mm -hmm. um, research on you. And I I think that's really amazing. And I think at the very beginning, you made a really good point. We are taught so many things about like, why we should have jobs, why we should get education. But Mm -hmm. in terms of this particular situation, like what is love? How is love defined? When is it that someone's, you know, kind of denying your humanity? We're not really taught that. And so we pattern ourselves after what we see. And and that's also an interpretation of what we see because how many times have we grown up and been like, oh, my mom and dad was like, whatever. And you're like, no, that's not exactly what what that was. So I I think that is so, wow, that, that is so powerful. And this morning when I I got up. Like I said, interestingly enough, I was watching MSNBC 
And they were talking about, you know, in the state of New York, uh, domestic violence is up by like 34 percent. And although normally people, um, I guess, when they are in these situations, they, they can it's a lot easier to leave and do all these other different types of things with everyone staying indoors. Having those out plans have become a very a little bit more trickier to kind of implement. Right. And so how has domestic violence taken on an even more like urgent need, especially in this time right now with us staying in and many people, you know, if it's a familial kind, you are at home with the abuser. So uh, first off, I just want to say that, um, you know, that statistic was 20 to 30 percent just two weeks ago. Mm. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. So and even with that being said, most of domestic violence cases go unreported because of what they are. Yeah. Um. And so right now during quarantine, many people are co-quarantined with their abusers. Mm -hmm. So it's really difficult for people to reach out to, you know, the resources that are posted. You know, we're posting domestic violence hotline and we're posting these text hotlines. But ultimately, when you're co-quarantined with an abuser, that privacy is taken away from you. Mm -hmm. Um, So other countries like France, Spain and the UK, in the beginning of quarantine, about March, they implemented a code word in mm-hmm. their pharmacies for victims to use. And mm-hmm. uh, due to their universal healthcare system, it was very easy for them to implement this. Because, yeah. You know, they don't have a Walgreens or a CVS or a Rite yep. Aid. You know, it's the pharmacy on the corner is exactly like the pharmacy on the other corner. Exactly. So it's very easy for them to implement this. Um, so when I saw this article that was in Elle magazine about this code word, I was like, why don't we have something mm-hmm. like this? Because, you know, this is a universal problem and it's an epidemic within a pandemic that's happening. And these cases are only going to rise. Yeah. Um, so I said to myself, like, why don't we have this? Why don't we have something similar? And then I said, you know what? Well, it takes one person to make a difference. I might be a fashion major and have no idea how our politics really <laughs> work, but I can, I can try. Um, so I pretty much reach out to everyone under the sun trying to get people's attention about what was going on in these other countries and mm-hmm. how we can do this here. Um, so it took a lot of research and ultimately working with local elected officials, but I came up with a brief to give to local businesses and mm. it doesn't have to be limited to pharmacies. Yeah. Um, you know, it could be your local hairdresser or whoever wants to participate and ultimately a brief for our local police department because they have to know the use of this code word right. too, because they're going to answer to whatever call they get, you know, mm-hmm. wherever it is, but just to inform them that this might be happening is something that's so important. Um, and basically pitched my idea. And so it's, it's still in the works, but you know, it does look good. And, you know, although our quarantine, our stay at home orders are starting to get lifted, mm-hmm. this is something that can be instilled way past COVID-19 because yeah. every single circumstance is different. Yep. Um, you know, everyone's experience is unique and you never really know what avenue can save someone's life. That's why there's X, Y, Z, um, you know, resources for people to go to. And there are, um, there are domestic violence um, shelters for people to go to because you don't mm-hmm. know what avenue is going to save someone's life. So this is, you know, really how I've been spending most of my time in quarantine. And I never thought that at 21 years old as a fashion major, I'd be, you know, working in politics mm-hmm. and lobbying for something. Yep. Um, but it really has helped me grow. And 
Um, it's something that I'm really excited about, and I'm fingers crossed that we can get this instilled in at least one place, you know, whether it's Monmouth County or Bergen County, yep. because ultimately this is something that, you know, if I were to be crowned Miss USA, that I would love to take to a national level. Yep. So I think it's just, you know, amazing to have this, and it's something I've been really honored to help just push forward. I I think that it's it's so amazing, and Wow, that that is a huge undertaking, and it and it is always Thank funny. You. Well, yeah, I mean, being someone who you know, I work in fashion, and it is unbelievable the amount of obviously other topics that I handle, and you're able to interact mm-hmm. with, and it's really about touching someone where they definitely see like, oh my god, this is a problem, and this is something that we need to eradicate. Mm-hmm. Um, because it wasn't even something that I had thought about until I started going on Twitter. It was probably about six weeks ago, and I was just like, oh my god, where are those right. people going? Like. This is crazy. Right. And and the fact that people are still trying to grapple with it, it's just it is such a, a, a big situation. And even beyond your reign, what do you foresee with yourself in terms of, of domestic violence? Like how what are other things like te- technically would you want to be more political about it in terms of, you know, lobbying, lobbying in Congress and different things like that? You know, honestly, yes, I never really thought that that would be a goal for myself. But like I said, I think quarantine and, you know, COVID-19 has really put us all in situations that we've been able to work for things we never thought we'd be able to reach. And so I think that's been a huge silver lining for me was that I never really thought that that would be something I would want to pursue. But it has really just kind of overcome me and something that I'm so passionate about. So I would love to be able to lobby for something like this for it, you know, to be not only instilled in Monmouth County or New Jersey, but mm-hmm. ultimately the entire nation. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm so, so grateful to have that platform as Miss New Jersey, because it is a first step in the door. Yep. But this is something that, you know, I'll be able to work on for years to come. So yeah, I think that's a huge goal of mine and also to continue to work with one love. Um, yeah. They've been able to educate a million students in the 10 years that they have been wow. um, doing these workshops, which is incredible, but you know, it's only grazing the surface of what they can do. I think I also really want to push for implementing relationship education you know, in curriculum, because mm-hmm. like I said, we learned so many things. And before I went to college, I had to complete a curriculum on sexual assault yep. and alcohol abuse before I even stepped on campus. Yeah. Um. So this is something that, you know, can go right along with that because it is just as relevant um, and just as important and just as needed. Wow. And one love is that do they only assist people that are in New Jersey? Is that something that's also uh, nationwide? It is nationwide. Um, their headquarters are located in New York. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but they've been able, able to educate a million students um, wow. nationwide. So they go through the workshop facilitators, which is what I am. Yeah. And basically we go through training on how to host these workshops. And then um, we host them wherever, you know, high schools, colleges, um, you have students sign up and we just take note of how many people are in the classes and that's how many people we're able to educate. But, mm. you know, One Love is such um, a compassionate, compassionate foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is a family that so many people end up saying and becoming workshop facilitators and just can, want to continue to spread that love that they offer so many people. And how do people, if someone else wants to be a facilitator, how does someone go about being able to be in the role that you're in? So it's actually really simple. Um, If you go on One Love's website, I believe it's Mm -hmm. joinonelove.org, 
um, you can sign up to um, to become a, a trained facilitator by by um, sorry by attending a workshop. Mm. Um, so it's a two-hour workshop online, and basically they run through the entire um, escalation workshop with you, which is what you would be hosting, and they send you um, a huge document of basically everything that you would be discussing because they play a 45-minute video in the workshop, and then you have a 45-minute discussion because mm. the video is so triggering. Yeah. So you kind of want to open up that um you want to open up the conversation for people to be able to talk about this, but also because they show signs really early on in the video and the relationship that they portray that not a lot of people can pick up on that are red flags. So you mm-hmm. try to open up that door to talk about it and through that discussion guide. So it's fairly simple, but extremely powerful. Let's pretend your name was Jody, and I'm friends with Jody. And Jody is mm-hmm. telling me, just a regular person off of the street, oh my gosh, this is what's happening to me. What do you think I should do? What should a person who yeah. doesn't have your knowledge and awareness, how can they be an ally to support someone like that? Because a lot of times, Absolutely. so many times people hear something and they're like, oh my God, my friend said that, but I didn't realize that's what she meant because they just don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we always provide and vet resources. So every mm-hmm. time I have hosted a workshop, wherever it is, so let's say it's Marist College where I go to college, mm-hmm. I have vetted at least 20 to 30 local and national resources for people to reach out to. And I also always host a workshop with a representative from Title IX Services mm. as well as a guidance counselor right. um, from Counseling Services because I always want to have, you know, people there that are, you know, professionals and that can offer that um, yep. that extra help. Um, but even anyone can help someone just by offering them these resources. Hmm. And um, One Love Online actually, you know, it has posted the 10 unhealthy and 10 healthy signs. And they've also posted how to help a friend in an abusive relationship. Nice. Which is so, so important because, you know, your loved ones are going to be the first people to recognize these things because yep. they know you so well and mm-hmm. they, you know, they're, they're so close to you. So it's really important to, I always share you know, that document with people. And it's so simple because it's really written out of just, you know, lending your, your love and your support and just being really kind and compassionate by pointing out those unhealthy signs with your friends. And ultimately, you know, no one can leave that relationship except Mm -hmm. your friends. Yeah. So it's going to be done, you know, on his or her own terms, but providing that love and um, sharing those resources with them is so, so important. Mm. Wow. I mean, these are just I I love these tips. And another thing that I like about you is that, yes, you you are Miss, you know, uh, uh, Miss New Jersey USA. And you also are doing some profound heavy lifting um, on the domestic violence front. But you are also Mm -hmm. a fashion girl, too, which I also love that. Yes. (laughs) And so fun to me. Yes. And so what is it, first of all, just about fashion in general that you wanted to work at that? And I know that your focus was uh, on the PR marketing side of things, which here at Athleisure you know, Media, we are constantly on the PR marketing side of things when we're doing a lot of our projects. What about that industry is so exciting and in that particular niche? Why does that speak to you? I think I've just always felt at home around creative minds. Um, and that's really where I feel like I flourish is in a creative 
facility and um, I can't draw. So basically <laughs> being an artist was out for me. Um, but fashion was a huge part of how I grew into really who I am and where I felt the most comfortable is how I show my personality, mm -hmm. um, you know, through how I'm able to, you know, what I'm able to wear. And I think that's just, it, it's always felt home. Like I've never really had when people are like, Oh, why do you want to go into fashion? I'm like, I don't know. It just feels like it's where I belong. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense. And yep. you know, my mom's an, my mom's an accountant. And so I have no idea where I got like my creative <laughs> side from, but it's just, you know, like really where I feel like I've always belonged. And that's just kind of like what I've always told people. I, I love that. And, you know, in terms of my background in fashion, you know, I, I began working in uh, premium French fashion houses. Um, and that was mm -hmm. kind of like my start. You love Italian houses. And did you begin your internship with Giorgio Armani? Yes. Mm -hmm. So um, I started interning in January with Giorgio and unfortunately it was cut a little yep. short due to COVID-19, but mm -hmm. it was the most incredible experience. Um, the team is amazing, but even Mr. Armani himself mm -hmm. is so legendary. Mm -hmm. And how I really came into the Italian luxury fashion industry and my love for it I actually studied abroad in Florence, Italy, mm. my junior year of college. Mm -hmm. And so um, obviously I'm a fashion merchandising major, but I couldn't really figure out where I wanted to sit in the industry mm -hmm. and where my niche was. Yep. Um, I just knew I wanted to be in it. And I studied abroad and just fell in love with Italian culture, Italian fashion, you know, and... Um, I remember sitting in my classroom. It was like a really, really hot September day in Florence. <laughs> and Italy is like not very industrialized in Florence. Mm -hmm. So there's like no air conditioning. There's like no Sephora. There's no nothing. It's just like you and like very old Italian culture. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. And that's something that I really love. Um, but, you know, I was sitting in the classroom and I was in history of Italian fashion. And I remember talking about Mr. Armani and, you know, his clean tailored lines and how he really wanted to redefine what the modern woman looked like and yep. put her in suits. And it was such a powerful thing for me. And then I came back to America and I applied for, you know, the internship online on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So random. I was like, I'm, I don't think I'm going to get this. I was sitting on the couch drinking wine. I was like, you know what? I don't <laughs> think so, but I'm just going to do it. And I heard back and it was, it was so amazing being able to, you know, be literally mm -hmm. in Florence, Italy, in a classroom learning about Mr. Armani. And then to ultimately be interviewing for the position and then working there was such a dream come true. And I think I just have such a respect yep. for, you know, the Italian culture and the fact that they are so rich in, you know, the Italian history mm -hmm. and the fact that, you know, they aren't really industrialized. Like they yeah. pride themselves on their culture. And I think that's something that's so, so special. Oh my gosh. So where, where do you envision yourself on the fashion track of things? Like what is the mm -hmm. ideal place, position, et cetera, that you would want to find yourself in? I would love to be in PR for a major fashion house. Um, I interned in the communications department for Giorgio Armani, and I pretty much worked on every single team to kind of get a feel mm -hmm. of how 
the um, department as a whole functionalizes. Mm-hmm. So I was working with um, public relations. I was doing event planning, um, trade marketing, media. Mm-hmm. And it was really amazing to kind of see how they all come together to make up the entire department. But ultimately, I love public relations. I was working in the showroom, shipping out samples, mm-hmm. kind of tracking everything, um, doing weekly recaps on, um, you know, when we have award shows, what social was posted, yep. what web, you know, web online things. So it was really amazing to kind of see how important PR is to the brand, mm-hmm. because ultimately that is a connection between, you know, the designs in the house yep. and the outside world. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I've always, I've always been a people person. I love people. So PR <laughs> is just kind of like, so at home for me. Um, but I just, I love the industry and I'm really excited, hopefully when, you know, the job industry starts opening up again after mm-hmm. COVID-19 to kind of see where my first real home will be. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Bungalow SK. Make sure to follow, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow and listen on additional podcast platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Himalaya, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Premium. Bungalow SK is a member of the Multimedia Podcast Network, Athleisure Studio, part of Athleisure Media, and Athleisure Mag. You can see our show notes at athleisurestudio.com backslash bungalow hyphen SK, and follow us on Instagram at bungalow.sk to find out who we're talking with, as well as what our guests are up to. Bungalow SK is exactly produced by myself and Paul Farkas, with sound editing by the Athleisure Studio team. Our music is courtesy of Icon eight with forever tea performing renaissance i'm your host kenny smith and i'll see you next week at bungalow sk